Well, we're going to pick up where we left off, and um, we have been talking about what Jesus said about salvation, and uh, focus verse, if you look at the top there, your handout, uh, underneath there, we've been reading Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 38. Uh, and I've said this repeatedly, that in my estimation, it's one of the greatest summarizations uh, of Jesus' teaching. There's a lot of other things Jesus taught. We are aware of that. We know that. But when it came to a critical moment where Peter is speaking to over 3,000 people at minimum, uh, no doubt it's, it's two, three times that amount of people. If you have the attention of you know one person, that's, that's a great moment. Uh, if you ever struggle to get the attention of anybody. But imagine having the attention of thousands of people and they have one question on their mind and they're looking to you. How would you fare? How would you answer them? And this is Peter's reply. And uh, when he answers the question to the people that are asking about what must we do to be saved, what do we do? And Peter gives a three-part answer. And they are highlighted there. Uh, in that handout, and that is repent. We talked about repentance, which is not only telling Jesus we are sorry, but it is a change of behavior, a change of direction. And then we talked about baptism, uh, how baptism was administered in the Bible and why it was administered in the Bible. He says here, baptized who? Every one of you. So everybody is a candidate. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. And back to the candidacy of who is baptized, what precedes baptism? Repentance. He says, repent, then be baptized. Who? Everyone. Everyone that repents is eligible to be baptized. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this is the third part answer that we are focusing on here today of, to the question, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said what Jesus said, and he identified three essentials to salvation. Now, we know there's more to Christian living than those three, but those are the three big things that we want to make sure we have in our life if we are to enter into the kingdom of God. So we're going to focus on receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And uh, it's not a fill in the blank, but if you'd like to turn onto the back at any time and write down any notes, you're more than welcome to. But reading here. Uh, to be born again, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a separate experience from our belief experience. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you could turn to the book of Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 18. And it's an incredible story to help us to understand, to register, to comprehend the difference things that occurred at this moment. In Acts chapter 8, the context is there is a preacher named uh, uh, Philip. And Philip is out and about uh, preaching about Jesus to a city of Samaria in verse 5. And he's preaching Jesus to them. If you look at verse 6 in Acts chapter 8, it says, All the people with one accord, they gave heed to the things that Philip spake. And so they listened to what he was preaching about. It says, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So we got Jesus being preached. We have people receiving what is preached. And the people are seeing miracles performed. Look at verse 7. It says, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice come out of many people that were possessed with them. So now you have people that are 
possessed with demons in this city that he's preaching to. And the devil literally comes out of these people crying out. And then it says there were people that had palsy and people that were lame. It says, so these people that could not walk, these people that had these conditions, the Bible says they were healed. So it just keeps piling up how awesome of a church service they're having. Jesus is being preached. People are receiving it. People are taking it in. Devils are coming out. People are seeing miracles. And then look at verse 8. It says there's great joy in that city. There's some towns I've been to, and they're just depressing to be in. But this town has great joy in addition to all these other things that are happening. Verse 9, it talks about a man named Simon who is a sorcerer, and people used to follow him. But even this sorcerer begins to look into this, this revival that is happening. In, in verse 11, it says, all these people that had respect to Simon the sorcerer, it says in verse 12, now they, he and these people believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. And if you remember going back to John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And remember John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So these people are taking in John three sixteen. They believe in Jesus. They receive the word of God. And there's great joy in the city. Unclean spirits coming out of them. It's important that we repeat this till we understand what is happening in this context. And then it says, Simon believes also. Our verse 12 says, the people, they believe the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, men and women. And then Simon, the sorcerer, believes also. He's even baptized. And he follows Philip. And he's wondering, he's watching the miracles and the signs that were done. Now, what's unique for Simon the sorcerer here is, remember, he was into witchcraft, and so he did things in darkness and deception. But now he sees someone else doing mighty deeds, but it's not in deception and darkness. It's in truth and light. So he's, he's definitely amazed by this. He's like, well, this guy's doing it different, and he's watching what's going on. He's amazed by it. And so the Bible says, as this story is unfolding, it says in verse 14, that the apostles at Jerusalem, they even hear about this revival church that's taking place. This church is having such a great move. It's not just known locally. It's known regionally. So you want to talk about a powerful church. It says they receive the word of God, and they ask for Peter and John to come visit this church. Now, why did they want Peter and John come visit the church? Just so they could say they had some famous preacher come by, uh, just to have visitors come just to see what's going on. Uh, perhaps there is interest to see what's going on, but we see in the scripture here, it's more than Peter and John visiting this church just because they're having good church. Look at what it says here in verse 15. They came down because they were wanted to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, that's an interesting verse there because, remember, we're reading about people that believe in Jesus, they have devils come out of them, they have been healed, they've been baptized, and there's great joy in the city, miracle signs and wonders, and the Bible says they still needed the Holy Ghost. And you say, well, that doesn't really clearly state that in the verse. It just says they need to receive the Holy Ghost. Well, look at verse 16. 
For as yet he, the Holy Ghost, was fallen upon none of them. They were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it clearly states here that these people that believed, they received the word of God, devils come out of them, miracles, signs and wonders, great joy, all of the above, they still had yet to experience the Holy Ghost. They did not receive the Spirit of God living inside of them. Verse 17 shows the moment that occurred. The, the apostles, Peter and John, lay their hands on them. They pray for them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And how do we know? Verse 18, it says, Simon, remember the sorcerer? He saw these people receive the Holy Ghost. He was so amazed by what he saw that he put money out and says, I want this kind of power. He didn't offer power for water baptism. He didn't or offer money uh, for to perform the ceremony of baptism. He didn't offer money to uh, see people have demons come out of them. He didn't offer money for people to have great joy. He offered money when he saw somebody receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it's important for us to note here in Acts chapter 8, and you could uh, uh, see this same thing in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. These five occasions you can read about somebody receiving the Holy Ghost separate from their belief experience. Why do we take time to explain that? Because in 2020, it's a very common ideology or theology, doctrine, teaching, belief system that is in the Christian church today that I believe, therefore, I have the spirit of God living inside of me. Is that possible? Yes. But that's not 100 percent true if you don't have the evidence of the experience of the Holy Ghost, because these people in Acts chapter two, they believed, but they still needed to receive the Holy Ghost, the apostles and the 3000 people. They all believe there's 120 people praying in a room until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they believed, but the Holy Spirit was a separate experience from their belief experience. And then Acts chapter eight, which we just read right now. They had miracles, signs, wonder. Uh, it is a, a, a common teaching that people uh, have learned that when you are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit, that you receive the Holy Ghost. But we know that cannot be true. If it was true, it would not contradict with Scripture. But when you look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 15 and 16, it says they wanted to see these people receive the Holy Ghost they have not yet received the Holy Ghost. They were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Clearly, it states there that it is possible to believe, to repent, to have miracles, signs, wonders, and healing, be baptized, but still need the Holy Ghost. So it is not a guarantee because you were baptized or that you believed that you have the Spirit of God living within you. And so, with all that being said... How do we know when somebody receives the Holy Ghost? Because when you look here in verse 18, it says Simon saw these people receive the Holy Ghost and he offered money. Now, what did he see? A spirit is invisible. You cannot see a spirit. In uh, Jesus likens it. If you look down here, uh, we'll, we'll go through our, our lesson here. 
It says that every uh, person that is filled with the Spirit will know because God gives them a sign. The sign he gives is a new unlearned language as they praise and pray unto God. His Spirit will lead, guide, comfort, empower, and take us to heaven when we die. So let's dive into this a little bit. We went over John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5 last week when we talked about baptism. But let's look at it again because Jesus says in John 3, 3, in your handout, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're talking about salvation. We're talking about heaven here. And Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. How do we define being born again? I've heard it stated. It's simply believing. But Jesus says in verse five, he expounds on the definition. He says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus say about salvation? Jesus said that being filled with the spirit is part of being born again and saved. That is the words of Jesus Christ. You must be born of the spirit. So it is a major deal. If it is that big of a deal, we want to correctly understand and know at what point am I filled with the spirit? Because we just read in Acts chapter 8, all these fantastic things. And uh, if we did a survey here, you know, we could begin to ask how many here. Ha- and you don't you don't need to raise your hand or, or anything like that. But you can answer inside your head. How many here had a demon come out of you? How many people were uh, paralytic? You, you were paralyzed. God healed you. Now you can walk. How many of you here uh, were baptized? How, you know, you, you go down that list, okay? And that's what happened in all these situations. But the Bible says they still needed the Holy Ghost. How do you know when someone receives the Holy Ghost? This is the answer of a question that we're going to answer here in the uh, forthcoming moments. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 7, 39, as we talk about the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And if you're unfamiliar, when someone says the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, those are synonymous terms. They're interchangeable. The Bible uses various ways to express or to explain the presence of God. But when we talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, we're talking about this experience that is separate from your belief experience. John seven thirty nine. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Acts 5 and 32. The Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him in Luke eleven thirteen. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So here are three basic things for us to understand that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. It's for everyone to receive if they believe, obey and ask those three things. If you find that in somebody that is opening themselves up to God, you will find someone that can be filled with the spirit of God, a level of belief, a level of obedience or repentance and a level of asking. When you begin to believe God is drawn to faith, God loves faith and God is drawn to obedience. It's just like when someone comes to a church service and 
They may not know much at all about Christianity or about uh, uh, the Pentecostal uh, branch of Christianity, if you want to say it like that. They've been raised a completely different form of Christianity, and all of a sudden they, they, they come into an atmosphere where they never heard about the Holy Ghost. They never heard about speaking in tongues, or they may have never been in a Christian church at all, and they walk in, may not understand. But when you see someone for their first time receive the Holy Ghost, you will find the, one of these elements, if not all three, inside of them that is going on. Just like the, the obedience of, you know, you say, oh, if you would like prayer, just come forward to this altar. They may never even been to an altar before, but they're just simply obeying. They're like, all right. And they just start walking forward. They don't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But that act of faith, submission, obedience, God reads into that more than we ever could read and understand that. That's why we can scratch our head and be puzzled sometimes that we see someone effortlessly get the Holy Ghost. It's just because they are opening themselves up. There is a belief, an expectation, and a submission, an obedience to God. And when that happens, you find people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, in Mark 16 and 17, this is as he uh, is closing out his earthly ministry, he has died. He's been buried. He rose again, talking with the disciples for 40 days. And now he's about to ascend up into heaven. And he makes this statement. He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. So Jesus, again, said, speaking in new tongues or language, an unlearned language that you do not know, is a sign of a believer filled with his spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus opens up his ministry talking about the Holy Spirit, about being born of the Spirit. We read John chapter 7, the center of his ministry. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. And then Mark chapter 16, the end of his ministry, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Again, the beginning, the middle, the end. Jesus believed it that big of a deal to speak about receiving the Holy Ghost through his entire earthly ministry. And so what Jesus gave instructions to the, uh, the disciples, and you could write these verses down if you like, but in Mark or, or Luke chapter 24 and verse 47 through 49, Jesus, when he's uh, talking to them, he says, go to Jerusalem, pray, and wait till you receive the promise of the Father. And, and so in Acts chapter 8, in ver, uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus, when he tells them to go pray for the Holy Ghost, he says, ye will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So Jesus himself says, there's a before the Holy Ghost and an after the Holy Ghost experience as he's talking to his, the, his apostles who've been with him for three and a half years and they still needed this. And he says, look, I know you believe you've been with me all this time, but I want you to go pray just like John preached and taught that uh, there's one coming after him that's mightier who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so the apostles and uh, uh, 120 altogether about in the upper room praying to receive the Holy Ghost. And so in Acts chapter 2 is when we see for the very first time people filled with the promise that God gave them, that is the Holy Ghost. So look at verse 4 of Acts 2. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them 
utterance. So these people that are filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak with other tongues, just like Jesus said in the above verse, verse 17. These signs will follow them that believe they shall speak with new tongues. And so the apostles and all the other believers, what they experience is what Jesus said a believer will experience. What somebody that believes in John 3.16 should experience. A John 3.16 believer should experience a John 3.5. They should be born again of water and spirit. Just like Jesus said, these signs follow a believer. And so we see this occurring here. What's important to note. In Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Because you might hear or meet somebody that says. Well speaking of tongues is of the devil. If that is true. Look at verse 4 that we just read. It says they began to speak with other tongues. As the spirit gave them the utterance. That word utterance means they were enabled. They were enabled by what? The Holy Spirit. So the new language was not enabled by the devil. It was enabled by the Holy Ghost. People that will speak negative about speaking in tongues and say it's of the devil, they have no scripture for that. But we have scripture right here of when people receive the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they spoke in tongues by the Spirit of God. And so it's very clear to see that. And the next verse, you know, when you, uh, it's not in here, but you could read through because some people say it's just some gibberish. Uh, that man makes up. But when you read verse 5 and 6 on down, it begins to give a list of languages of different regions. It says there's people from uh, Phrygia and people from Arabia and Cappadocia and Judea and all these people from all these regions around. It says they heard these people speak their language, the wonderful works of God. So it wasn't the devil because it The spirit was praising God and it was intelligible because they understood them in their own language, though the people speaking in tongues, that wasn't their language. But the people that were foreigners understood that language. And so I I say that because it's important. You will meet people every now and again that will say it's of the devil or they will say it's just gibberish. It's just emotionalism. And um a couple things I will say here is that when you speak in tongues, it doesn't mean that the entire time you are speaking in one singular language. It doesn't specifically state that. It is possible to flow in and out of various language while you are speaking in tongues. Another thing is if for some reason there is, you know, nobody could understand in the room what language you are speaking. It doesn't sound anything that would come from the region of Asia or the regions of Africa or regions of of Latin America. Uh, There's such thing as dead languages, languages we don't know anymore that have were in existence hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And the Bible says in the book of first Corinthians, chapter 13, that there's even tongues of angels. So there's. There's no way of, we don't have to try to figure out what dialect, what region, what's going on. You just got to simply receive by faith that it is the Spirit of God praying through you. And that is a beautiful experience that you can participate and allow God to work through you as a vessel. Don't worry about trying to figure out the dialect. I think I shared a month ago or so when we were talking about the Holy Ghost in our lessons here. 
is that there was a man, and it, he was very sincere. I'm not mocking or insulting him, but he was very interested in trying to figure out the dialect. When he, After he got the Holy Ghost, he opened up his Google Translate app and held it by his mouth while he was praying in, in other tongues. And uh, he shared it with me, and, and uh, you know, I didn't mock him. I didn't insult him. I gave, it was just a, a good teaching moment to let him know you don't have to try to figure out what language. And there is a supernatural gift called the gift of interpretation that when God wants you to know what's going on, that gift will be enacted and God will give the interpretation. So don't worry about what language am I speaking. It's simply the language of God's praying through you. And that's what we need to focus on. But once more, Acts 2, 4, we see people receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Acts chapter 10, verse 45 through 46. We see this occurrence of the gen, uh, the the Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost. We, these are non-Jews. And it says, as they were poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost on them, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Once more, a group of people filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. We see it again in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. Paul is praying for believers. And if you read verses 1 through 6, the very first question Paul asks them in verse 2 is this. He goes, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Paul already knew they believed. He just says, have you had this experience since your belief experience? Going back to the original question we posed and read about through Acts chapter 8. There was a whole city of believers that had great joy. Because some people say, well, you know, you don't, uh, my evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost is that I was baptized or, and I felt this feeling, you know, of this peace of God. And I don't doubt that they felt the peace of God. I don't doubt that they felt a thousand pounds of tons of weights come off of them. That does happen when you're baptized in the name of Jesus and all your sins have been washed away. Absolutely, it feels amazing to have a, re- a genuine, sincere, repentant prayer at an altar. I believe that you felt what you felt and God l- delivered you from whether it be drugs or alcohol or, or uh, anger, wrath, rage, whatever it may be. But the deliverance isn't the same as the Holy Ghost experience. That's what's so important to read through Acts chapter 8. Demons came out of people, but that wasn't the Holy Ghost experience. Baptism happened, but that wasn't the Holy Ghost experience. People were healed and started walking that never walked before, but that wasn't the baptism of the Holy Ghost experience. You see what I'm saying? They even believed in Jesus and received Jesus, but that wasn't the baptism of the Holy Ghost experience. It was a separate experience that we saw people, uh, their, the hand, uh, hands of the apostles were laid on them. They received the Holy Ghost, and Simon saw them receive the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the, the argument or discussion or debate or, you know, things that you have to negotiate, navigate in your mind or explore is a question of, well, it doesn't say in Acts chapter 8 they spoke with tongues. And that is correct. It does not state in Acts chapter 8 that these people spoke with tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. But don't forget, it does state they spoke with tongues in Acts chapter 2 when they received the Holy Ghost. And everyone asks, what's going on? He says, they received the Holy Ghost. And he didn't say they received the Holy Ghost, but not all of you will have this tongues experience. He doesn't, he doesn't break it down. He says, this is for all of you. It's a promise for you and for your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord of God shall call. And then in Acts chapter 10, when they received the Holy Ghost, 
they do speak with other tongues. In Acts chapter 19, when they speak with, uh, receive the Holy Ghost, they speak with other tongues. So when you read of the five times people are baptized with the Holy Ghost, there is evidence of speaking in other tongues. Okay, so one time it doesn't say they spoke with tongues. So that, uh, that is where people try to capitalize the idea. See, no, there's no, there's no fact because it doesn't say that they spoke with tongues. We said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again in case you missed it in one of those lessons. Was you, when you read Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, and uh, the, the Lord opened my eyes to this because I never saw it. I mean, I've read the Bible I don't know how many times over the years, uh, but just, just this year, like, it, like scales came off my eyes. I'm like, oh, well, I never saw that before. And it was simply this. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter is explaining the Holy Ghost to everybody, because everybody's asking about this speaking in tongues phenomenon. That's what draws the crowd. That's what everyone's weirded out about. And that's why people start making fun of them and saying, these guys are drunk. They're, they're crazy. And, um, and they must be high-functioning alcoholics if they're speaking a brand-new language that they never learned before. <laughs> so, but we know it is the Holy Ghost, right? And so what happens is Peter, as he's expounding on it, you know what he does? He reaches all the way back to the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Now, he could have reached to Isaiah 28, 11, but he didn't. He could have reached to Mark 16 and 16, but he didn't. He reached to Joel 2, 28. And, and we read it in verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men, you know, dream dreams and visions, etc. Not one time does it say in, uh, in Joel chapter 2 anything about speaking in tongues. But see, Peter had revelation of what this experience was. Because Peter knew Isaiah 28, 11, And Peter was there for Mark chapter 16. So he says, I now understand Joel chapter 2. And this is what happens in the last days. God is going to pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. So all flesh have the opportunity to experience this promise that was prophesied in Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. And Jesus prophesied would happen in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. So with, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't back down. He doesn't apologize. He boldly declares, this is the promise of the Holy Ghost. And when you read verse 39 there, it says, this promise of the Holy Ghost is for you and your children and to all that are far off. What is the moment that's happening? The outpouring of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, and Peter boldly declares this is for every single person. So rewinding back to Acts chapter 8, it does not explicitly state that they spoke with tongues. But we do know this, that just because you had a miracle doesn't mean you got the Holy Ghost. And just because you got baptized doesn't guarantee that you got the Holy Ghost. And just because you believe in Jesus doesn't guarantee you got the Holy Ghost. And just because you believe your Bible doesn't guarantee that you have the Holy Ghost. And just because you have great joy after God delivered you doesn't guarantee that you have the Holy Ghost. We can factually, scripturally state that from Acts chapter 8 and the other chapters as well. But this clearly expounds. And then it says in verse 16 and 17, after they acknowledge they haven't received the Holy Ghost, but they've been baptized, he lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, Simon saw that they received the Holy Ghost. So the fair question to ask is, what did he see? What did he see that he would offer money? 
And I believe it's very clear through all the other occasions in Scripture when we see the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he saw something that he's never seen before. Because he saw miracles, signs, wonders. He saw demons come out of people. He saw people get baptized. He saw people get joy. He saw all those things, and he didn't offer money. But when he saw someone get the Holy Ghost, he offered money. And what did he offer? I believe Jesus explained it in John chapter 3. He says, everyone that is born of the Spirit is just like the wind. He says, the wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof. And so you cannot see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind on a leaf, on a limb of a branch, and you can hear the wind. Just like today, I know it's like gale force, 30, 40 mile an hour winds today. You can hear the steeple on top of the building rocking a little bit now and again. You can hear some of the wind brushing up against the leaves outside these windows, but you can't see the wind. Same thing. Jesus said, it's just like when someone receives the Holy Ghost. You can't see the Holy Ghost, but you can see the effect of the Holy Ghost on somebody. Because all of a sudden, their mouth begins to move like a leaf on a branch. Because when the Spirit begins to move upon it, it begins to quiver like that leaf on a limb. And all of a sudden, you hear the sound of the wind, the Spirit moving on that person, and a sound breaks forth. It's the baptism of of the Holy Ghost. And that is the point at which Simon the sorcerer pulls out his money bag and says, give me that power. And then he's rebuked for it because you don't purchase salvation with money. It's not some sort of ploy or some sort of gimmick or charade. It is something that is only birthed by the Holy Spirit. Reading forward here in the original church, people who were filled with the Holy Spirit knew they were filled as God enabled them to pray and praise in a new language as God promised. Now, Isaiah 28, 11 is, is this promise for with stammering lips and another tongue. will I speak to this people stammering lips is is if you've ever went through a winter in South Dakota and you've ever been cold before and you all send your teeth clatter. That's what stammering lips is. OK, it'd be that a quiver. The clattering of your mouth, your lips. He says, stammering lips is the initial sign that the wind is blowing on you. But another tongue is a sign when the spirit is flowing from you. So if you are praying, if you never experienced the Holy Ghost and your mouth starts moving and it's hard to kind of frame your speech and, and speak, you know, clearly or fluently in your known language, that is God signaling to you. My spirit is upon you, and it's soon to be within you. And you know it's within you because God will signal it by another tongue that you do not have, meaning another language. That's what Isaiah 28, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. And this is the rest where I will cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. And Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22. The Apostle Paul verifies that speaking in tongues, he goes all the way back and reaches to Isaiah 28 and 11, and he quotes it to help us in the New Testament church to have revelation and understanding that that is what the Holy Ghost is. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 39, we come to a close here. Then Peter said unto them, Ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, for the promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many the Lord our God shall call. So the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, and it is for everyone, including you and your family. And so pray 
ask to be filled with the Spirit. If you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, you don't have to feel shamed. You don't have to feel like, you know, you're some sort of pathetic loser that, you know, now uh, you're found out and nobody here likes you kind of thing. No, everybody starts off the same. We're all born into sin, shaping into iniquity. All of us are born without the Holy Ghost. But as we grow, we want to be born again. We've been born once unto death, but we want to be born again unto life. And so he who was born twice dies once, but he who was born once dies twice. Meaning this, if you only are born in this world and you're never born again, there's a second death, and that's called hell. And we don't want to go to hell. But if you've been born once and then you're born again, there is a second life. You've been born into this life, but there is a life everlasting. And that's why we preach and teach the, the experience of John 3, 5 and Acts 2, 38. Because John 3, 16, John 3, 5 is summarized by Peter in Acts 2, 38. And he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is for everybody. Let's stand together. And let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this revelation that you have given us from your holy word. And I pray, God, that you would give us a firm understanding. I pray, God, that we would have a firm foundation because, Lord, there are many winds of doctrine out there that are trying to get us to shift, to move, to sway, to alter. But I don't want to be like a wave in the sea, driven by the wind, tossed to and fro. I believe the apostles' doctrine. And I believe what you said, Jesus, you being the chief cornerstone, that, Lord, this is the born-again experience. And help us, God, not only to experience it, but, Lord, to help others to experience it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, we ask, in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. We're going to take a 15-minute break.